Thank you. The scriptures this morning, we're going to look in Philippians chapter 3. Excuse me, I'm going to read verses 14 to 21. Philippians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Amen. Two weeks ago was January the 1st, the first day of 2023. You knew that, didn't you? Good. But did you know this? It was the 250th anniversary of... Sorry, I missed that again. How close? No, it wasn't, it wasn't the writing of Amazing Grace. It was the first time it was sung. Very good. Did you see the same bit of BBC breakfast news as I did? Because that's, that's how you knew I, such a, a small piece of information. It was the first singing of Amazing Grace. And yeah, I, I only knew that because it was a, I happened to stumble upon a, a, a small piece in, in BBC Breakfast News about it and saying that there was a, a little um, a museum uh, demonstration thing, a little museum set apart in John Newton. That's the hymn writer. Um, John Newton's hometown of all names did a wee feature on that. Um, you will have sung other hymns that many of you written by John Newton, um, glorious things of the are spoken, um, and, and others. Now, John Newton, and it's in this exhibition there, was a slave trader, and possibly, I think quite probably, was a slave trader who believed in God, who, but he didn't have a relationship with God. And then he, he, at some point, became a Christian. It, it, it wasn't just some kind of belief that he had, but it was an experience of the love of God and a conversion experience. And after that conversion, um, John Newton stopped being a slave trader. Uh, in fact, he went into the ministry and was a, an Anglican vicar in, in Olney. And uh, on this feature that we, at least two of us saw... Um, being, being the BBC News, you know, they've got to put the other point of view. And so they interviewed 
um, someone of Caribbean descent. I, I didn't catch who he was exactly, but it was a gentleman of Caribbean descent there being interviewed, and he was saying he didn't agree with the museum being there. He didn't agree with this exhibition. Um, Slave trading was such a bad thing. They took his ancestors from their homes in Africa, transported them in appalling conditions across the Atlantic. And, 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 and you know, in, in Guyana, which is where he was from, they'd built colonies um, on the backs of the slaves, but for the benefits of others. And it was an atrocious and an abominable thing. And the interviewer asked this guy quite directly, would you be able to forgive John Newton? And the guy said, no. And I thought, gosh, that was, that's quite bleak, isn't it? That there's no forgiveness. I mean, I would, like, I would like to have gone there and asked the guy, what, do you what did you expect the converted John Newton to do? You know, we can't undo the past. We can't stop the things that have already taken place. What, what was Newton supposed to do when he became a Christian? Other than what he did do, which was then give his life to serving Jesus. And in fact, John Newton was one of the people who were such a huge support to William Wilberforce and the Clapham sect, who were working hard to push through Parliament, and it was heavily resisted. They worked hard for years to push through Parliament the abolition of the slave trade. And such was the opposition to it that Wilberforce and, and the others needed a lot of support and encouragement and prayer from, from people who were on their side. And John Newton was one of the key people in that. What's Newton supposed to do? If... And the, the other thing that is bleak is, haven't we all done stuff that's wrong? Haven't we all at some point in our lives had to say sorry? And the gospel is that there is forgiveness. There is the new start. Now, that, that's partly Paul's theme in, in Philippians chapter 3, that there is this new beginning. Earlier on in the chapter, he's, he's saying, this is what I used to be. Um, and I should have started reading at verse 12, which says, Not that I've already obtained all this, the salvation in Christ, or have already arrived, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. I can leave the past behind. I'm not a prisoner of it. There is forgiveness. There is a new start and a new way of life. Not just simply being let off the hook, but a change of direction. Paul says, I used to be this, now I'm that. And it's something serious and life-encompassing. John Newton would have said, I used to be this, but now I'm that. Okay, I did slave trading, I'm embarrassed, I'm ashamed, etc., etc. But now I'm serving God and I'm working with those who are determined to change it. Now Paul says, forgetting what is behind. Now that doesn't mean that he literally would forget everything that... Um, everything that uh, was in the past. For example, he wouldn't have looked back to his, his past and said, well, you know what, I'm, I'm no good, that's it. He mentions his past in verse 5 and, and following. 
And sometimes we can hold on to the past and say, I'm no good, you know, I've failed so many times that, that God can't possibly use me. Paul's not saying that. Then I suppose you might say, some people look in the past and say, you're no good. You're the person that let me down. You're the person that didn't turn up. You're, you're the person that, that cheated me. You're the person that said this. Never done things like that. We hold on to things that people have said and people have done and, and write them off. Paul's saying we, we, we mustn't do that. And also in, in verse 12, he's saying that we've not I've not arrived. He's not saying just I'm no good or you're no good. He's, neither is he saying, I'm so good. I'm, I used to be terrible. I used to throw Christians in jail. I used to persecute them. But now, I've been a missionary. So, hey, I've arrived. So, he's not looking back. Now, the context in, in Philippians 3 is that he's running a race. And he's saying, as you run the race, there, there are certain things that you should not be doing. Looking back in the race is, is not helpful. There's a place in other contexts for remembering things. And Paul used to encourage Christians to do that. It's his words in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we often say at the Lord's Supper. Remember what Jesus did in the upper room with the disciples. Paul was not saying you never ever look back at anything. But he's saying that as you're running the race, as you're seeking to follow, as you're straining to reach ahead, there is a kind of looking back that's not helpful. Looking back in past failures, looking back in past failures of myself, looking back in past failures of others, or even a complacency that says everything is now fine. The Christian life is not just about dealing helpfully and healthily with the past, but it's also about moving on with God. Now, running a race is not the same thing as running around. Paul describes, verse 14, of pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me. He's pressing on with a, an end in view. So if, for example, in a modern race, uh, the starter fires, do they still have starter's guns at the Olympics? I'm not even sure if they do. But, you know, they start the race, and somebody runs further, and somebody runs faster than, than everyone else. Have they won the race? Well, not if they've run in the wrong direction. If they're just running in a way that takes their fancy, oh, I quite like it over there. <laughs> that doesn't count. Running the race has got an end. It's got a, a purpose in, in view. It's got a goal that it's aiming at. Aim at nothing, and that's exactly what you hit. So verse 20 is recommending uh, a goal for us because it says our citizenship is in heaven, and that's the goal I want to think about. Now, when we first read that verse, we might be inclined to think what Paul's saying is, I really belong in heaven. I've got to put up with things here. But, but one day I'm going to be there, and it's going to be so good and so perfect, and I've got my passport, Jesus died and rose again for me, and that's, that's fine. But that's not what he's saying here. What we have to think about here is that he's writing to the church in Philippi. What was Philippi? Philippi was a Roman colony. Philippi was a city um, where largely it was populated by Roman citizens, Many of them, most of them, were folks who had served in the Roman army and were now retired from army service. And quite often the emperor would give them a plot of land in one of his colonies as a reward for their service. 
And so that's what, that's what Philippi, wasn't the only one, but that's what Philippi became. It was one of these places where the um, Romans were living, and they were living according to Roman rule and Roman way. Now, people in Philippi would have said, I'm a citizen of Rome. That did not mean, I'm going to go to Rome sometime. All of us are going to go to Rome. The emperor would not want that. Rome was already overcrowded. So when they said, I'm a citizen of Rome, they weren't saying, that's where we belong, and you know, once we've got the money together to, for the bus fare, then, then that's where we're going. No. So what did it mean to be a citizen of Rome? What it meant was that in Philippi, they were going to live according to the Roman way, the Roman customs, the Roman values. They were going to put the Roman stuff into practice in Philippi. They were making a Rome away from Rome. That's what they were doing. And it's similar with this idea when Paul says in, in verse 20 that what we're aiming for, what we're about is building, um, <clears throat> we are citizens of heaven. It's saying, we are to do heaven stuff now. It's about being a citizen of heaven, is living according to the ways and the rules, uh, the values of the kingdom of God in the here and now. Now, that's not a new idea, is it? Oh, well, you've, you've already prayed about it this morning, didn't you? The Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Now, how's God's will going to be done on earth? How's that going to happen? It's going to happen the only way it can happen is through the people of God, the followers of Jesus, being God's citizens, doing God's stuff, doing the kingdom way of life in the here and now. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. It's not thinking about the eternal destiny. The idea that you die and you go to heaven and that's where you stay forever is not, I repeat, not taught in the New Testament. It's not. Even in... Um, this is an aside, and here uh, Paul talks about Christ coming again from heaven. We, eager, we eagerly await a Savior from there, verse 20. Revelation, the end of chapters uh, 21 and 22 in Revelation, it's all about heaven descending to earth, the new earth and the new creation. It's not us going up there, it's heaven coming here. That's the movement in salvation. We, we do not escape to some spiritual disembodied existence for forevermore. That is not Christian teaching. That is not the gospel. The gospel is about new creation, God working to restore His creation in the new heavens and the new earth. And we are to be the anticipation of that. And so, the challenge there in this passage is for every community of Jesus' people, every church, to live as though Jesus is Lord and not to live according to the diktats of the time and place in which we find ourselves. So Christians in Philippi, there was the confession and acceptance by almost everyone in the streets and everyone, you know, going to your, the pub in Philippi, and the acceptance, the prevalent view was Caesar is Lord. This is Roman colony. This is a bit of Rome here. 
that we are building here. Caesar is Lord. What Caesar wants counts. And the Christians were having to live in Philippi. They weren't being magicked away to heaven right away. They were to live in Philippi. But they were to live in Philippi in such a way as to show that Jesus was Lord. And that brought them into clash with the prevalent cultures. There were lots of things they could do that, that every other Philippian was doing. They would just go to the bakers to get their bread and so on and so forth. But there were sometimes there were things which were brought into to clash. Now, we do not live in Philippi. We do not live in a place where it's thought that Caesar is Lord. But in our time, in our place, in the affluent West in which we live, it's consumerism that is Caesar. That's what it is. What we have, our possessions have become our God. Marketing has become our liturgy. What is, what, how do we say? It? It's marketing has become the thing that people sing songs to. I mean, I mean how, many, how many recording artists you know, 20 years later of hit singles because the song's been used in an advert. Quite a few. That's our songs. That's our liturgy. That's, that's, that's the, the currency in which we are. Our temples are the shopping malls. The hymns are the advertising jingles. The icons, the company logos, you got the right logo here on your shirt? If not, don't want to know you. I know kids who got, you know, impossibly bullied and embarrassed at school because the trainers didn't have the right logo. It's all over it, all kind of levels of society. Designer clothes are our vestments. Wealthy celebrities are our venerated saints. Purchasing power has become our heaven. Isn't that why we sell so many lottery tickets? That's what we need. Now, that is the climate, that is the culture, that is the lordship under which our society operates. And we, we have to live in that society. That's, that's okay. But we have to realize, too, that it's a society that's intent on evading accountability, more concerned with assessing the options than it is about weighing the consequences. And I think the Western church, which we know is struggling, I think the Western church is struggling. One of the reasons is the Western church has lost its distinctiveness by forgetting the ways of Jesus. We have tried to have both, even though Jesus said, Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve both God and money. And one of the reasons that the church has slid into the background is that it wasn't any different or much different from the rest of society. The church didn't have anything distinctive to say, wasn't living a distinctive enough life. Our citizenship didn't seem and doesn't seem to be much different from everyone else's citizenship. 
Instead of a way of life showing the lordship of Jesus, Christianity became a hobby. Now, against this, Paul says, verse 13, that he's, he's straining ahead for what is to come. He's straining ahead that the ways of heaven might be done on earth. Not drifting along, straining ahead, a bit like, you know, the, the, the athletes in the 100 meters as they, as they get towards the finishing tape. Everything is, you know, thrusting towards that tape. Everything's stretching out. The chest is put forward just that we can break the tape before the other persons because they're all trying to do the same. And Paul's saying, that's, that's the picture. That's what I'm trying to do. It's not just taking it as it comes, but I'm, I'm giving it my everything to live under the Lordship of Christ. Two things about how we seek to do that. The first is to do with our attitude. Because it's the resolve that we see in the Apostle Paul in these verses that should challenge and encourage us. Forget previous failures. Forget I'm no good. Forget differences that says you're no good. Forget the indifference that says I'm so good, I'm fine as I am. And we should be saying with the apostle that we want to run the race. We want to reach the goal. We want, want to win the prize for the fullness of the kingdom of God. Is that part of our daily attitude? What, what does it mean when we sing as the choir sang this morning, May the mind of Christ my Savior live in me from day to day. Saying every day I, I want to be doing Jesus stuff. Lord, what can I do for you today? How can I best serve you? How can I best pray for your people? How can I show Jesus to someone else? Lord, how can we as a church grow more into the people you want us to be? Those kind of questions. Do we ask ourselves that? Do we put that in front of ourselves each day? If not, why not? There's uh, an app that I know a number of folks say, uh, use, as a lot of folks in our mass congregation in Claremont were using, called Lectio 365, which was uh, providing morning and, and evening devotions. And uh, the Lectio 365 finishes the morning devotion with this prayer every day, Father, help me to live this day to the full, being true to you in every way. Jesus, help me to give myself away to others, being kind to everyone I meet. Spirit, help me to love the lost, proclaiming Christ in all I do or say. That's today's agenda. Not just, I've got to catch a bus and do this, I've got to go to work. These other things apply as well. But in and through them, saying, how do we do this? One of the folks in my last congregation um, was using this app and using it during lockdown and got to the bit that says, being kind to everyone I meet in lockdown. And she thought, you know, the only person I'm meeting is my husband, um, who, who wasn't, and so far still isn't a Christian. And she thought, right, I must be kind to him, do more to be kind to him. And she started working at that and thinking, how does that work? She said it's transformed her marriage. He's not yet a Christian. We pray that he becomes that. But she just made a huge difference. Not that she was unkind to him before. Not that she didn't do anything for him. But just having that in front of her, in her mind. How can I be kind to so-and-so today? It made such a huge, huge difference. 
Now, I'm not saying that's the ultimate in, in ways. There's other ways of, of doing this daily thing. John Stott, um, uh, recently deceased Anglican vicar of considerable importance, said Heavenly every morning prayed, Heavenly Father, I pray that I may live this day in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Every day. It's the attitude. It's the spirit that says, I'm straining forward. I want to reach the goal. I, I want to be a citizen of heaven. I'm, I'm wanting to do Jesus' stuff. I'm wanting to give people a, not just a wee bit of a jigsaw, but a better picture of who Jesus is and what kingdom life is. So there's that attitude, I think, that we have to take. I, I think not being conformed to the society around us, not just, not just fitting in, not just going with the flow, but saying, how do I go again? How do I do Jesus stuff? How do I do kingdom values? Read again the, the, the Beatitudes in, in Matthew chapter 5, and, you know, the blessed of the meek and so on. How, how do we do that stuff? It doesn't just happen. We have to aim at it. But the second step beyond the transformation or the, that kind of attitude is taking specific steps. We don't become like Jesus overnight. Like the jigsaw, the pieces are put there bit by bit. And like the jigsaw, sometimes you might even get it wrong. Ever done that with a jigsaw? Put a bit in the wrong place. Realized five minutes later it's not fitting with the others. You've got to take it out. That stuff happens. And it will happen, you know, in following Jesus. There will be bits that we have to take out again and put again. But it's bit by bit building that picture. That's what we're called to be and to do. So specific steps to rebel against the consumerism of our society, specific steps that we might rebel against this way where possessions are our God and everything else just giving in. Maybe it means one, I don't know, one less holiday a year, one less trip a year. Maybe it means, I, th I think it's quite probable that almost all, if not everybody in this room, could go through the rest of 2023 without buying any more clothes. Very probable. That's not the biggest issue and deal for me, you can probably tell. To go through 2023 without buying any books, mm -hmm. that would be a lot harder for me. It's different for different people. We need to consciously work out. That it's not just stopping doing some of these things. It's actually actively being generous. Uh, you can do things like we have a standing order with a, a flower delivery firm so that once a month some people get flowers. You know what it does? It makes you think about who can I send them to this month. It makes you think about what's going on in people's lives. It's make, it makes you think about who can I be kind to today. And it makes a difference. Okay, it's not everything. It's just one more piece in the jigsaw. We should practice being better at giving things away. Because you know what happens if you don't practice being better at giving things away? You just let them come and come and come and hold on to them all the more. Because you've never got enough. 
Someone once said to the millionaire Rockefeller, how many dollars is enough? Rockefeller said one dollar more. It's never enough, no matter how much you have. When um, we, my first charge was in Greater Easter House in uh, Rochese. Um, and the last uh, while we were there, we had a lot of trouble with uh, folks um, doing damage to our car. It's a long story. But anyway, in the last while we were there, I, I had to park the car a bit more than a half a mile away outside relatives' house that stayed in Carntine because it was just rotten. And um, after we moved, uh, next six charge was in, in Edinburgh, um, and we had uh, a garage. On garage to put the car in. I thought this was great after all that hassle in the streets of Rakesi. This is great. And then one night as I was um, coming home from presbytery, bubbling over with indifference, as I usually am after presbytery, I uh, <clears throat> got, got home and it was dark and it was cold and it was chucking it down with the rain. And I had to get out of the car and it was one of these double doors and unlock the door and then take one leaf of it and, you know, fix it to the ground and then take the other leaf and fix it to the ground. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to have one of these things in the car where you just push the button and the door opens and you drive straight in? You see, what you've got is never enough. And that's what society's telling you. Whatever you've got is not enough. The, the marketing is a liturgy. The advertising jingles are after us. Saying you're not that. And you know, if you notice with so many of these things, they're not actually selling you the products. They're selling you a way of life. So many advert, adverts are not actually about what we're trying to sell. It's about you'll look good if you've got this. The other people will welcome you. Other people will be following you down the street, etc., etc. And consumerism should not be lord. Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to be a citizen of heaven. It means to do the kingdom of God stuff in the here and now in contradiction to and distinction from the rest of society about us. Now, I don't know most of you, so I'm not getting you, because I'm just saying in general, the Western church has been rubbish at that. It has. I know of a parish in, in Creef, in fact, where the manse had to be moved because they were building a council housing state across the road. What? Who's Lord? What sort of game are we playing when we do that kind of stuff? Paul says, we're citizens of heaven, and I'm straining and stretching. So a passport and a jigsaw. The passport says, who's are we? Who do we belong to? The passport says, where is my citizenship? Jesus says, you can't serve God and serve money. The jigsaw says, we are to be giving other people a picture of what it is to be. Christ's followers. We are to be giving them an example and an illustration of this is what it means to be like Jesus. Because people don't always know. So what jigsaw pieces can you put down this week? 
What steps can you take? Do you want to pick up the challenge from something like example of John Stott or Lectio 365 and, and say, have something that you say to yourself every day. It doesn't have to be as well formed and as well thought out as theirs, but Jesus, what can I do for you today? Jesus, help me to give myself away. Help me to speak up for you. Help me to live out for you. I do that before breakfast. Because without that kind of attitude and without those kind of specific steps, we're playing games. And when we're playing games, the world says, oh, there's better games over here. And the Apostle Paul saying, I've got that passport and I'm doing that jigsaw stuff because it's worth it. The kingdom of God is worth it. And that's the good news, ultimately. We don't always know how this and that turns out. And, 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 and Paul's not saying everything's going to go very smoothly. Do you know where he wrote the letter to the Philippians from? He was in jail. He was in jail when he wrote that letter. Paul, Paul's, and he wasn't in jail because he'd uh, forgotten to pay his council tax. He was in jail because of his following Jesus and saying Jesus is Lord. He knows it's tough things. He knows it's hard. But he's saying it's worth it worth it. Do you believe that? It's worth it. Let's pray.